0: morning. Good morning. All right. Are you guys ready for a real conversation? A real conversation. We're going to be talking about breaking the glass ceiling this morning. I'm going to be your moderator, Xavier Beal. I'm the vice president of human resources at HII's Newport News Shipbuilding Division. Um, before we get started this morning, though, I do want to take a moment to talk a little bit about our company and who we are. All right. So who are we as HII? Um, we're actually the America's largest shipbuilder and global all-domain defense provider, with more than 135 years of history of advancing our nation, not only to protect our nation, but to deliver freedom across the, the, the globe. Think about that for a second, 135 years. So we've been around a long time. I want to talk a little bit about our structure. We actually have three divisions. We have a Newport New shipbuilding division, where we uh, talk about a couple of our products there engineer, design, and build nuclear power aircraft carriers. Uh, our Ingalls Shipbuilding Division um, is where we actually engineer, design, and build amphibious base uh, vessels as well as destroyers there. <clears throat> and our missions technology division, um, that's our division that's comprised of quite a few things. We're really looking at nuclear environmental solutions, um, AI and machine learning, as well as um, some things that we're actually doing there with unmanned underwater vehicles. So, we have a diverse portfolio. We're the largest industrial employer in the state of Virginia, as well as the largest industrial employer in the state of Mississippi. So, let's talk about technology for a second. Um, the technology that we're using in our business today uh, is something that's, at, 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 I, w- I can't even think of the word to describe it at this point. When you think about shipbuilding, people think about the legacy way of riveting and things of that sort. We're in a digital platform now. We have a digital twin for how we actually go and build uh, um, our ships. Our craft men and women are using some of the -the state-of-the-art technology. Our engineers are doing some of the cutting edge uh, things in engineering. We're actually at the forefront of additive manufacturing. And then when you're actually looking at designing and engineering and building those models of the sea that we do, as well as the technology advances that are actually coming with missions technology, um, our portfolio, I I would charge you to look around um, other industries and see where you can do more exciting work. And then you get an opportunity to interface with, uh, we're looking at, we've had sitting presidents at our company quite a bit, uh, world-class athletes there, and titans of industry. So if you're looking for it, you can find it at, at, I was gonna say Newport News Shipbuilding, that's the division I represent, but at HII, we have it all for you. So before we get started, I wanna introduce this panel and I'm gonna ask them a little bit later to talk a little bit about themselves in their own way, but I'm gonna start out with a high-level introduction, and I'll start with, to my left, your right, Melanie Anderson, who's our Vice President of Human Resources, my counterpart, at our HII's Missions Technology Division. Um, Beside her is Jennifer Boykin, President of our Newport News Shipbuilding Division, and um, to the left of Jennifer, we actually have Sabrina Bailey, who's the Vice President of Operations at Missions Technology. So before we get started, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves in their own special way. Let's start with you, Melanie.
1: All right, I'm Melanie Anderson, Vice President of Human Resources for HII Mission Technologies. And uh, I actually feel like I'm in my hometown. I, I grew up right outside of Pontiac, Michigan, so it's like coming home. <laughs> coming home to Motown. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, going deep here, I've been with HII for six years. I've had the pleasure of starting up the techni- uh, we were technical solutions, mission technologies division with um, boy, five acquisitions in the last six years, and two divestitures, and really shaping and forming the human capital platform for the organization. So it's been a a pleasure. I couldn't find a a finer company, truly, and I've I've been around the block a bit than HII, great culture, ethics unquestionable, and really wonderful people working hard for the mission of, of our nation, of our customers, and of each other. So I'm Jennifer
2: Boykin, uh, also Midwest, but not from uh, Detroit, Michigan. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I went to U City High School, and um, I went to school in New York uh, to study engineering because my father was an engineer, even though I really didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, and fortunately for me, I uh, landed in a company that is steeped in history, legacy, and just uh, just has abundance of opportunity and Uh, I look very forward to engaging with you all today because I'll tell you, um, I think you'll hear different career paths from all three of us up here. And uh, I would imagine when when we, I I won't speak for Sabrina and Melanie, but I would imagine it's safe to say when we were sitting in your seat, we didn't see ourselves sitting up here. You just never know what's going to happen. Uh, and, and, And I'm just so encouraged to see so many future leaders sitting in here today and taking time to invest in your development, and uh, I look forward to your questions. Thank you.
3: Good morning, everyone. My name is Sabrina Bailey. I'm Vice President of Operations at HII Mission Technologies. I've been with HII for over 28 years. I know it's pretty much unheard of, but I spent my entire career at HII, but I've changed jobs probably seven times or more. Uh, when Xavier talked about the opportunities within our organization, th- that's true. I started out as a mechanical engineer at Newport News Shipbuilding and right out of college. I'm, I'm Virginia, raised and born, went to Old Dominion University. So, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I loved to read, I loved to study, was good at math. So what did they tell us to do at that time? Hey, go to be an engineer. And like Jennifer, I didn't know quite what that meant. Um, it was it was an ordeal. I was first generation college, went off for the first time away from home. Um, but one of my professors told me uh, with that degree, you can do anything. And, and he did not lie. So I started out again like at Newport new Shipbuilding, became part of AMSEP, we've migrated multiple times. Um, I'm very, very looking forward to hearing your questions, sharing my story and hoping something that I can say can be a benefit to, to you in the audience.
0: All right, so let, let's jump in there with these leaders. So I'm gonna start with you, Melanie. Right. Melanie, if you were queen for a day, What's the one thing, not that you're not a queen every day, but if you were the queen for a day, what's the one thing you would do to break that glass ceiling?
1: Well, I think I would begin to teach all humans at a very young age to really use their words and speak for what they need and what they want and to be very comfortable declaring breakdowns raising issues and and discussing them debating them creating a society where generally we it, we first speak for the change we want and we use tools and skills to improve the way that we do that across the board it it does doesn't apply to glass ceiling issues it applies really to to all humans, and I, I feel like there are certain um, trades groups that do that very well. I don't want to give credit to lawyers, but lawyers are generally very good at finding the common ground to situations and speaking for what needs to happen to come together to resolve something, and I, I view that some glass ceiling issues can be more resolvable by individuals where they can pivot from how they're seeing something or how they're feeling about something to really breaking through and getting where, where they want to get on a certain issue. So Queen for a Day, that's where I would spend my time and energy uh, across the world.
0: Thank, thank you for that, Melanie. Um, Jennifer, let's go to you. So we're in a room full of a lot of women, and you think about women leaders such as yourselves that are on this stage. What advice would you give to other women leaders in the importance of their role in mentoring and coaching and helping develop other females
2: yeah thank you so uh, I I would say um, two primary things that are are general and foundational one is um, each of us is going to be faced with uh, choosing a career opportunity that we're not comfortable with for one reason or another we're going to think that it's not the right time for me to take this because of the stage of my family Uh, it's not the right job for me because I don't even know what that division does Um, It's not the right job for me because I'm not sure I want to relocate or it's not the right job for me because I don't know those people. And I I would say the piece of advice I would give is lean into that discomfort and lean in to that opportunity because um, it is through those next steps that you cannot necessarily control throughout your life that open doors that you don't even know exists That's one piece of advice. And the second piece of advice I'd like to share with the whole room is, um, you know, each woman and each family has to make personal choices through our lives based on, you know, our family and other situations. And we need to support each other. Okay, there's not a right choice for all women. And there's not a wrong choice for all women. And it's very important that we, we, we help each other. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that we help the workforce around us stand up for the sisters who are choosing to do something different. Um, and, and in that way, we keep doors open and we have an obligation. We have an obligation to each other and to the organizations that we lead and support. So those are my two pieces of advice.
0: Thank, thank you, Jennifer. Remember that obligation. So we're going to move on to Sabrina. Sabrina, if you would. Talk a little bit about what do you feel are the biggest challenges that women face, women leaders face today?
3: That's a great question. And I wouldn't just limit it to women leaders. I would say the, the, the problems and challenges that we face are the same that are faced by, by all women, period, whether they're in the workforce or not. So, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, back through my career and, um, you know, this conference has been an excellent opportunity for me to look back and to see how far I have come, right? For me to be on the stage with one of my role models, right, um, that's awesome. And Melanie, who I so admire and respect. Um, but, but I would say unrealistic or gender-biased expectations for me is one of, the, one of the, most, the biggest challenges I think we face as women. I think a lot of these are self-imposed I know that from my own career and my own experiences, I expected myself as a working mother, working wife, to be 100% perfect at all things, at all times. And that is an unrealistic expectation. And from talking to all the young ladies at the conference this weekend, talking to my own daughter, I am so um, thankful and amazed at how you all have it together, mm-hmm. and you all don't have those types of unrealistic expectations, and you don't impose those unrealistic expectations on one another. You know, gender bias expectations. We've been in other um, other conf- other uh, sessions, and we talk about how do you be assertive, and how do you balance the masculine, and the feminine. Right. So you have to look into yourself see who you are as a person, and then apply your own unique abilities and your own unique talents to your positions, whether you're a leader or not. So again, I think those unrealistic gender bias type expectations that we impose on ourselves and that sometimes are imposed upon us, is the greatest challenge I think that we face.
0: Thank thank you. We're we're gonna pause for a moment there, right? You've heard from the panelists opening up and a couple of questions, but I like to take a question from the floor. Are there any questions from the floor that you have at this time that you'd like to present to the panelists? And if there's one panelist in particular, uh, feel free to call that panelist out. They'll be happy to answer.
4: You mentioned um, a lot of things that we do is self-imposed. Can you reiterate more on that?
3: Yeah, so um, my generation, right? Y'all might not remember this commercial, Anjali, <laughs> right? So, you know, is that, or or those, uh, if y'all remember, you know, and, um, or you might remember those TV shows where, you know, I was talking about this Melly at dinner last night, June Cleaver was uh, vacuuming the floor in her pearls, you know, all of those unrealistic expectations. I would be there, you know, 100% of the time for my children. I would also be 100% of the time at work and somehow make all of that happen perfectly. So to me, it was um, not not giving myself a break and not saying, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're a good mother if you miss an event. You're a good worker and a good manager and a good leader if you take time off to go to your kids' baseball game. So that's what I'm talking about, is trying to hold myself to an expectation of where, you know, when I was coming up, women were sort of treated like little men right? Like we had, we were supposed to be the same thing, uh, do things the same way uh, without the same type of, you know, nurturing responsibilities that we all had at the home. So that's what I mean by those self-imposed type of barriers and expectations that I placed on myself.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Sabrina. If I, if I could add to that, you know, a lot of times people will ask about workplace balance and I, you know, the, you know, I fortunate, uh, I have the privilege to lead 25,000 people that do very important work, and it's it's critical work, and it's work that you know has to happen you know day after day around the clock. And so, in balancing that with you know the the women's roles and that and men as well that have to take care of of both, I I tend to I don't believe in work life balance. I do believe in a work life seesaw, because there are times where. Your family at home is a much greater demand, and you're going to be there. And it's important to build relationships at work for that reason, right? Somebody has to get that done. Somebody has to help you cover that. And when you have relationships and you can say, hey, this is happening, and my seesaw is this way, I need some help here, you're going to be better able to do that. At other times, you know, you're in the middle of a test program, and you're the lead test engineer, and you have to be here. And this family needs you, and it's going to be, it's going to go on for two months or three months. And you're, you know, you're, the relationships that you have at home uh, are going to have to, you know, you're going to have to count on and leverage to, to balance that out. And, uh, you know, watch out for um, your own personal physical and mental health when both are down, okay, because that can happen. And you need to get help however you do that. Um, when both are, are up and you're humming on both, that's a great time. It's not going to last, <laughs> but it's a great time. So, um, so that's the way I think about that. You know, it's, you, you don't have to feel like you're always in balance. You do have to recognize and be aware of where you are personally, physically, mentally, and emotionally.
3: And I want to piggyback off of that, right? <laughs> so when you're doing that, it's to do it without feeling guilt or bitterness when you're at one place, not to feel guilty because you're not at the other, right? To give yourself that acceptance that it's okay that you have picked the best, you know, that best side of that seesaw and to be fully committed to that side of the seesaw when you're on it.
0: So, so as you can see, these, these ladies have a lot of knowledge to share. I think there was one additional hand that came up in the back. Don't let the microphone scare you. Come up and, and ask that question
4: so that was that was pretty much the question um, I, What I thought I heard is that um, you have to find that balance, but the reality is that it, it's a tough decision to make, and how do you determine you know when to to make you know the the decision about you know do I take this next position because it's going to jeopardize my commitment to my family or do I not take this position because this is a crucial time where I need to be with my family. So it's, 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 very, it's very difficult when you get to that next level and you're trying to decide, you know, this is going to chart out my career. How do I define if this is right or not?
2: Yeah. One thing I'll say, Sabrina mentioned earlier, you know, you're not going to make every field trip. There, there was a time where, um, you know, so you, we're all comfortable with, you know, the idea of negotiating at work. But I also had to negotiate with my daughter at the beginning of the school year to say, pick one field trip, and I'm going to commit to go to that field trip. But I'm not going to be able to bring cookies every Tuesday like some of the other moms. And um, and, and so, you know, just kind of setting expectations with your family as well as with, with work um, can help you. But I just want to say I can't tell you how many times I've heard a young woman say, I don't want to take that job because I might have kids one day. Okay, that's re- that's you know, choosing something because something that might happen in the future. No matter what that future thing is, I don't want to take that job because my husband's job might move us in two years. Don't limit yourself because every job you take, every responsibility you have, whether it's for five years or seven months. Adds to your resume, adds to the value that you can articulate that you bring to an organization. So don't trade off for something that might happen when you are in the moment and you do have both of those. Um, you know, really, only you can make that decision. Uh, but trust me when I tell you, we can do a lot more than we think we can.
0: Hey, Thank, th- thanks for that, Jennifer and Sherry. Thanks for bringing up that extra question as well. So, M- Melanie, I have, we're gonna, we're- I have a
1: quick question. Oh. You know, to stay on this theme. You're close to
0: me.
5: (laughs) So, to stay on this theme of compromising
1: and, you know, choosing uh, between work and family, I'd like to ask this question a little bit of a different way. So, if um, perhaps, how have you helped women who might be deciding between starting a family and taking a role, a leadership role with higher level responsibilities? perhaps from um, you know, a smaller territory um, or scope to, say, a national or a global role. How have you helped women navigate between, you know, having a family, you know, starting to get pregnant, have babies and balance taking a higher level position? So, I, I view companies being more flexible and more willing to um, provide alternative schedules and hybrid work situations than ever before. And, on you know, full disclosure, I have four children ranging from almost 23 to 11. So, um, three girls and a boy. And, you know, to thyself be true. Figure out what you want, what's important to you. I'll say, Honestly, you know, family number one, my greatest accomplishment is these children. Yet I love to work and I love what I do. And I've been fortunate enough to work for companies that have allowed me the flexibility when I needed it to continue to move forward and advance. And so I don't see that I've sacrificed, you know, my children. In fact, there's always this mommy radar that you sense when they need you more, when you need to be there. My little three-year-old told me one time sneaky mommy always watching yes I'm always watching always making sure that they're doing fine and when they were doing fine I was doing fine I was growing they were growing and you know I couldn't couldn't be proud of really where they are I found I've set the example for them they're Mm -hmm. so proud of me I'm so proud of them what they're accomplishing the grades they're getting how they're becoming three wonderful females and this astute little boy living with all these women. So, you know, um, take a risk in that way. You know, watch, keep your eye on it, certainly, but don't let it hold you back.
3: Um, One thing, you know, the the question was, what have we done to, to help women overcome those challenges? One is accepting whatever decision you make and letting you know that whichever path you choose is fine. There is, like Jennifer said, there is no one path, there is no one way. I would encourage, um, I would encourage everyone, women leaders, women in whatever roles they're in, to take that chance, to take that next level position. If that is something that you want to do, because you can always go back, right? But opportunities don't always come by. And you will find a way, you will find a way to navigate um, I know in my own uh, my own experiences, I didn't know how I could you know, how can I do this next job? I've got two kids. How can I go to school and do the job? And, and, and but when I look back, you know, glory to God, there was a way that it got done. So I just want to encourage you all not it's just don't don't be afraid of taking that next step, and don't let what might happen hold you back from the, pop, the great possibilities of what could happen. Because I was in that same place uh, so many years ago. And to be in this position now, to be a vice president of operations, is something that I never thought that I would, you know, from a small rural town, first generation college, would never achieve. So don't be afraid to take the chance.
2: And what I would add in terms of how we've helped, I, 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 I um, we'll pile on to Melanie's point about, you know, since COVID, there's so many hybrid opportunities. I think that creates space for you to have a discussion about what the expectations are. And the, the other thing is, and this is not something that's available to us all the time, but probably more often than we think you could have a conversation to say, um, again, this is depending on the, the situation and the company and and all those things, but you could, you know, think about, um, before the position is filled, can I be in a can I can I be in an acting role for six months? Can I take this role for six months and lead it and give you, business and me, an opportunity to see if this will this will work um, before sort of cutting loose from where you are? I would venture to say ninety nine percent of the time that six months will t- will give you the confidence that you need, or it will tell you that it's it's too much of a strain and you're you know, you're not in the right place. But think just think about, you know, you have negotiating power with your uh, with your business unit. And, and, and so um, before you stress over the the this or that single decision point, see if you can create with your business leader an opportunity to say for six months, I'll fill this role. And then we can have a conversation at the end of that to see if this is a, a good a good fit for both of us.
1: All of you have accomplished so much, that's why you're sitting up there. So that obviously means you've worked really hard, put in a lot of hours. One of the feedback I've always gotten and the most resounding feedback is you're doing a great job, but we're afraid you're gonna get burned out. So what I would like to know from your perspective is, did you get to those opportunities and how did you pull yourself back without sacrificing your performance in your work?
0: Good question. Melanie, you want to start? Sure.
1: I mean, I don't think we do our jobs alone, completely alone, right? And so we have coworkers, we have teammates, we have bosses, we have opportunities to, you know, see where we're getting burned out or where something we're doing doesn't play to a strength we have and, and work with others to get it done. I mean, that's that's the real art here. And um you know, I think we, we learn it every day in every place that we're at. Um, you know, it's really it's it's really just changing the game. You know, if you've done something over and over again, you're not you don't have any new learning in it. Get it to somebody who can learn it for the first time and consider it a, a gift to be doing something different. You know, really scrutinize where you spend your time, and is it in places that fuel you, where you really add value, where you you know, create the kind of value you need to add in the position that you're in and figure out how things can be done with and through others differently, I think is is the touch point. And then honestly, and this is probably more do as I say, not as I do, but, um, you know, focus on your own health, your exercise, your sleep, how you're eating. It's absolutely important. And even if you think you're invincible and four hours of sleep work, um, that's, you know, that's not going to that's not going to be sustaining. So you have to take care of yourself to take care of others. Um, and m- one last point maybe is, you know, your vision is, you know, my higher level vision is obviously taking care of, of my family, providing for my family. And um, and I can't be my best if I'm not taking care of myself. And so you have to own that.
0: Th- thanks, Melanie. Sabrina, any perspective?
1: Um, You know, I was thinking about the question and the times
3: that I have felt burnt out. And, you know, so this is also sort of a maybe more of a do as I say, not as I do, because I'm constantly trying to evolve and get better at this. But before the burn happened, I probably smelled some smoke, (laughs) right? So if you can always be self-aware, to know where you are, to have that support system to keep yourself from getting to the burn. That is the best advice that I would give to recognize, be aware of, or to know, okay, I've got this big project that it's gotta get done. There's a hard deadline. I might be burned out a bit, but I know at the other side, I'm not gonna continue to put in those types of hours. So self-awareness, teamwork, doing something about it before you're on fire would be uh, sort of my best advice.
2: I was reflecting on the question as well. And I guess my question to you is, do you agree with them? Do, you do agree that you might get burned out? Okay. And I think it's an important distinction because it's one thing when someone says to you, there's an opportunity, but I'm afraid you might get burnt out. That's completely separate from there's an opportunity for you. And I feel like I'm burning myself out. Right. So you have to separate those two things. If you disagree, that's a whole different conversation. Um, If you do agree, I think what these ladies said is exactly right. You know, you get work done through through relationships, through teams. Um, And so maybe there there is a the smelling smoke is am I carrying too much of the burden? By the way, if we're carrying too much of the burden because my teammates aren't picking up their part and I've chosen not to have a crucial conversation with them, I'm going to ask whose responsibility that is. Okay, that's mine. Um, Sometimes we do that. We don't want to say teammate A or teammate B, I feel like I'm carrying a load here. It's burning me out. You're supposed to be accomplishing this by this time and you're supposed to be accomplishing that by that time. If anyone cannot have that healthy conversation, that's a place to start with personal development. Um, So if you disagree, that's a conversation to have. If you do agree, I agree with what these two ladies said. Make sure that you're leveraging the full team. Um, and, And Melanie's right. If we think about the fact that we master something and then we get to teach it, we get to be a coach for the next person, they're learning, they're developing, you're learning how to teach and coach, and you're ready now because you've left behind a solid team and you can go take on that next challenge.
6: I actually have two questions. Uh, First one, you touched upon, uh, you know, take that leap of faith, switch the job if you think that you have something better available out out of your organization. Um, But if you're family planning at the same time, how do you kind of, do you bring that up within the interviews that you're having with them? Is that something you should have a, a conversation initially with your manager as soon as you join that new organization? Or is it something that's just normal and you should, don't need to talk about it when it happens, it happens and you move on with life, right? Like uh, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to know what's the right time to have such a conversation. What's the HR answer? You know, (laughs) I don't know if this is the
1: HR answer, but I would kind of say, yeah, it happens when it happens. And you speak for what you need at the point. I don't think you need to have it worked out in advance. You may want to have it worked out in advance, but it's not necessary to introduce. My view is it's your life. It's your decisions when you're in the workplace and your circumstances have changed. You advocate for what you now need it's a divisional flexibility, if it's to shift tasking, what have you, if you're not ready to move to the next role, that's that's where you are at, at that point. I, you know, again, it is um, to thyself be true. This is, you're running your race. So you're largely controlling the conditions. And it isn't like you enter an organization, all of a sudden you have to permission for everything. You know, It is still your race and you maneuver through to get your needs and desires met and where organizations can accommodate that, that's great. And when they can't, you have another set of choices. So I don't, I don't think you need to disclose personal you know, data around your family planning uh, in advance to any organization. Take it when it comes. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me add to that. You know, this
3: is real talk, right? So would a man be asked that question? What would a man feel obligated to tell their future boss I might be starting a family next week, next year, whenever. <laughs> so we don't need to feel obligated to disclose that kind of information as well. So when, when you're about to say something or think you're in a position, just would a man say this would, would, well, why am, I, why am I even why am I thinking even trying it. to thinking about it right? Why, why am I doing that? So think about that.
6: Uh, and the second question I had was, as a new manager, if you see other maybe male managers working weekends, working late nights, but from, because of your family life, you don't want to start introducing it, uh, how do you deal with such a culture? Like, do you just step back and say, this is the culture I'm going to create? Or do you kind of try to blend with the culture that's already happening in the company?
2: Yeah, I, I'll tell you, my, my view on that is, uh, again, it, it sort of depends on the body of work you're responsible for at that time. So um, I have been in roles where I have seen men stay late, and they're they, I, I know they have nothing to do. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, you can sit there at 4, 4.30, you know, and the rest of the team is walking out, and you're doing this. You know, you're not fooling anyone. Um, right. And, uh, and so this, the staying late isn't about staying late. The staying late doesn't set the culture. The culture isn't about whether you stay late or leave at 4:30 or five or whatever. The culture is about the team getting the task accomplished. And, and you need to you, you do need, to, I would encourage everyone to have that conversation with your boss to be clear. Make sure you're clear on your expectations. Um, if it takes working late, one night or two nights or three nights, and that's what, for, for the work that you are responsible for, then I would say, you know, you have to work on figuring out how to accomplish that. Again, you have teammates, you have, you know, partners, et cetera. Um, but no, if there's not work to do, no one's fooling anyone to just stay late.
0: Thank you for the question. So, so on that line, we're talking about real talk. So Jennifer, I'm going to ask you, as the president of an iconic company that's been around for more than 130 years, talk a little bit about some of the barriers that you faced um, as you were going through your career, and how did you navigate around those barriers to get to where you are today?
2: Yeah, so so I I've I've been in this business for 36 years. Don't do the math,
6: <laughs> and
2: um, so that was a different time and place, I will say. And um, you know, my example about. Uh, the test program has to occur, but there might be something going on at home. That's a true story. So um, I was responsible for finishing the construction of the aircraft carrier, um, John C. Stennis, and I had a three-year-old who had asthma. And it seemed like every Sunday night at 10 o'clock, once a month, she had an asthma attack and we had to go to the children's hospital. And so, um, you know, I was faced with this. I have a huge responsibility at work. By the way, I'm the first woman that's ever had this job. So we all know when you're the first, there's a lot of eyes on you. So it, it wasn't just a test for me. Thank you. But but it was, a you know, the, you know there are people saying, can this work? You know, can this social experiment work? And... Um, so I, I had to really strengthen the the network at home. It was the, um, you know, the youth pastor, my husband, um, you know, my mother-in-law came up and stayed with us uh, so that I could be at work. Now, when she was really sick, I was there. But when, you know, when she was sort of in recovery mode uh, and I, I knew the drill by then, um, I was at work. And my my boss said, and this isn't a bad thing to say, so I, I don't want you to react necessarily in a, in a bad, you know, as, as though this is negative. But his what he would say is, um, Jennifer's exactly where she needs to be. She's got a sick child. She's exactly where she needs to be. But the superintendent needs to be at work. And it wasn't a, you know, looking back, I will tell you, and knowing this person who was a great boss, it wasn't a comment on, Women can't do this. It was a comment on, I have a very real need that time can't wait for, and I need a manager that can accomplish this body of work to this schedule. And uh, so, so that was probably the most difficult challenge I had because because it, I was the first, and I knew there were eyes on me, so. I just beefed up this part of my my uh my team, my home team, and I made sure that you know all the critical issues. mean she was, you know, fortunately for us it was never a very critical situation, but um and what I learned in the years after was just how many people were watching and evaluating that. I mean, probably for the next ten years. I, I just learned more about what that what that happened. So um you know That's different than today. So that was a time when I was the only manager on the waterfront that was a woman, and there were maybe two managers on the waterfront that were persons of color. Today, when you look at our waterfront team at that level, it is diverse as anything you can imagine. So the recognition, the, uh, the understanding that there are different demands for different people at different times, and you come together as a team— the culture has changed. And I feel proud to have been part of that, even though I was too naive at the time to know what I was doing. (laughs) Um, Since then, honestly, I feel like every time you're on a team as a leader, um, the team wants the leader to remove the barriers and make their work life more straightforward. If you do that as a leader, at the end of the day, people might be hesitant depending on what you look like. But if you serve them, they will move you forward. So your so your task is to make sure that you are putting your team's success first, and um, you know what look like barriers tend to tend to sort of fall apart.
0: Thank thank you for that, Jennifer. And along that same line, Sabrina, this question is for you. We've talked a lot about not limiting yourself, right? So what do you do as a leader to create an environment that individuals, regardless of their gender, or race, feel comfortable being their authentic self and helping with that development to reach the top of that ladder that they aspire to get to?
3: That's a great question, right? So one thing I do is I remember, right? I remember what it was like for me um, coming up, as as Jennifer said, a different time. And so I I remember saying, if I ever get into a position where I can make change, I will make change. And so I, I, I made that my business to do so. So how do you do that? One, I recognize that there are differences in women, men, introverts, extroverts, how we do things. I see people as people, period. And I give everyone on the team the opportunity to have a say. If I know a person is an introvert and is just waiting, it's got all these great ideas and it's just waiting to be asked, I make sure I ask. So that's how you get all those opinions out, and then everybody at the end of the day feels heard. And you use that to build a stronger team and to accomplish the mission. So I think one of the things that maybe, um, you know, I've always kind of aspired to that servant leadership type role model, which honestly comes easier to women sometimes because of the nurturing aspect of, of our experiences. And people relate to that, to know that you care for them makes all the difference. You care for them, they'll, they will give you everything. You take care of them, you remove those barriers, that team is going to excel. So, And, and the same thing for women moving up the ladder, anyone moving up the ladder. And I, and I create that environment for everyone. So no one feels left out, no matter what your gender is, what anything. Everybody gets those opportunities and, and gets to be heard and to know they're an important part of the team.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, this one is, is going to be for Melanie. Melanie, we've talked a lot about navigating the corporate ladder. But if you would, from some of your own experiences, share what you think are the characteristics that make a person a great leader and why.
1: Oh, that's a... Uh... That's a loaded question, so I'll just, I'll (laughs) leave you with this. Um, Think about the leader you most admired. Spend a minute getting the visual of that person in your mind, how they made you feel, how they encouraged you, how they pushed you, how they drove learning, how they drove excellence, whatever that might be, that is, um, you know, the, the characteristic, but if you, but you pull that up a level, it really is what Sabrina talked about. It's a situational leadership. I think it's a servant leadership. It's understanding how to make each person tick. So one of the things I learned kind of early in my career, and one almost through a mistake, you don't build a relationship with a team. A team is a construct, right? You build relationships with each individual on that team. And in doing that and paying attention to, to what they need and how they're best coached and developed and mentored and pushed, um, that, that makes the team strong. And, uh, you know, so I think about my team today. I love the individual relationships I have. If I think about working with my boss, he leads the same way. He empowers the team. He works with the individuals. And um, so that, I think that's a really important characteristic. And. And, you know, Sabrina talked in great, great examples about what that looks like as well. So we've got
0: some alignment here. Thank, thanks, Melanie. Great job with what you called a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to take another pause here um, for the audience to ask any questions.
6: So what's your take on this term called superwoman nowadays? It's been so much celebrated, right? So um, a woman who does very good in the job family, friend, who looks great, and then who exercises, who does this, who does that, and everything, and then there's a lot of expectation. Part one of the question, that is. Part two is, women in 20s, it's easier to be the so-called superwoman. But what happens when that energy drains out at 40s or 50s, and when they are no more the superwomen judged by the society, and uh, how the women can take that pressure off?
2: Stop looking at social media so much. That's, that's one part of my. Okay. Seriously, there's enough pressure on us. Um, don't, don't compare yourself to something that's unrealistic, and, and we would all do well to turn that thing off more than we do. Um, that that's my first piece of advice.
1: I haven't given much thought. So, Melanie here's Sabrina. Well, I, I'll throw in there. You know rushing woman syndrome it isn't healthy (laughs) it's not even healthy for us uh to be you know going on all cylinders all the time give yourself permission to find the places that you know find the space the space for yourself um and then you know think about life as a journey and um Pride ourselves on being highly adaptive. So when you get to a place that you're no longer happy and you no longer naturally have that energy and enthusiasm to go after what you want, pivot, change the game. What am I going to do next? And and thoughtfully think about that goal and then plan it out for yourself. Um, you know we. We get to points in our, our career, whether the job's not satisfying enough or the work-life environment or you name it, the neighborhood, <laughs> and, you know, just, just create a new, just take a new path on your journey and, and plot it out and slowly start to execute.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, it, it really, um, how you live your life should matter to you
3: and your family. And, and that's all. I wanna to add to that too, is that goes back to, you know, what's the biggest challenge? those unrealistic bias, gender bias expectations. And doesn't social media, isn't that? It's full purpose to make you look at something that's unreal and compare yourself to it and not feel that you're good enough. Is cut that off. Find, to find someone who is real and connect to that person who has, is real and who has been through that struggle. And that, if you want to want to gauge anything to get some feedback on where you are, still not even comparing yourself to that person, but to get real feedback on where you are and what's, what's realistic and right for you. Right? That, that's, that's where I would take this. Don't, don't, don't look at social media. Don't look at TV, movies, entertainment to find that reality for you.
2: Yeah. And just one, one more thought. The, the thing about that is if your expectations are unrealistically high, you're really not, you know, when you make a mistake, and believe me, we will, okay, my case more than I can even count, if your expectations are so high, the mistake can be crushing, and you're less likely to actually learn, you know, you're less likely to sort of just face it, okay, I made this decision, and that was a bad decision, so what can I learn from it? If my expectations were so high, and I made a bad decision, it might feel the the weight of that I think would prevent really good just personal learning. So it's another reason to kind of just build off what uh, Melanie and and Sabrina said is, you know, just be realistic and and learn as you go, adapt as you go and live your life for yourself and your family.
5: Hello, my name is, uh, well, I'm Lieutenant Destiny Reed Johnson. I'm actually from Newport News. And at one point I worked at the uh, Navy shipyard as a nuclear quality inspector. At, at Norfolk Naval Shipyard? Uh, excuse me, the one in Newport News. Oh, okay. Great. Newport News. That's mine.
6: <laughs> so yes, yeah. just to
5: be clear, Newport News. So hi, everyone. So my question is, um, oftentimes um, with me, I'll just use myself as an example. Uh, if I make a mistake, I can be really hard on myself. And I'll stick to that mistake that I, that I made. You kind of touched on it a little mm-hmm. bit. But my question is, um, as women, when you make a mistake, um, what are some of the pointers or some of the things that you have done to overcome that mistake um, versus beating yourself down about Mm -hmm. the mistake that you've made? How do you move forward and, um, I guess, learn from it and grow from it? Yeah.
2: Well, you know, um, I'm sure we all have a good perspective on this. First of all, I I would say... um, Every, everyone is, is going to, to make them. And I, I, I think the fact that we um, feel bad about it is a reflection on how committed you are. So, so that's, you know, one thing is you can tell yourself, it's because I'm, I'm committed. But, you know, I started years ago telling myself, um, I would just say, boy, if I, you know, if, when I made a mistake and I would sort of reflect on it, I would say, man, just think how smart I'm going to be in 10 years. I'm going to learn from all these mistakes and, but my 10 years kept, it kept being 10. I would never say, you know, next year, because now I'm nine years in to that big mistake. So, you know, I do try to put it in the perspective of if I've learned that I am just think how smart I'm going to be out there because for one thing, it helps me recognize or remind myself that everyone's on that same journey. Um, I mean, you won't you won't. I just saw Admiral uh, not Admiral, excuse me, General Milley on the 60 minute interview. And he talked about mistake that he made. So if General Milley can do it and, you know, leaders can do it in in organizations, you realize that making a mistake is so very human. Um, So try to just kind of put however whatever works for you, but a framework in your mind so that, you know, a mistake just fits in that learning bucket, that continuous improvement of my ability bucket.
0: Melanie, any perspective on
1: that? Oh, I mean, that is exactly right. I think back on mistakes I've made and the hard lessons I've learned. And, you know, you could let it, um, stop you in your tracks and retreat and turn around or just say, you know, I've, oh, I've learned a valuable lesson. I'm going to, I'm going to put it in this little box. I know it. I'm not going to dwell on it. It's not going to stop me. I'm moving forward. Just like Jennifer said. So, We can be our own
3: worst critics. I know I can be my own. Because you compare yourself to this level of perfection, those unrealistic expectations that you can never achieve. So I have learned over time to forgive myself and to forgive myself quicker and quickly and quicker as I have progressed, right? So one thing I I would say, when you make a mistake and realize everyone, I think, we all know this everybody makes a mistake ask yourself if 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 your friend or the person across from you made that mistake what would you say to them right you'd probably say it's okay it's all right we're going to we can make up from that we can turn that around you're okay don't worry about it we got you imagine saying that to yourself every time you make a mistake right
2: And by the way, we should do that because people around us make mistakes, and we should make sure that what Sabrina says is what we're saying. You're human. You're going to make a mistake. And I think when you get in practice of forgiving the other person, it's easier to do that for yourself.
4: Good morning. Uh, Thank you all for your time. This is very beneficial. So thanks for for being here. Um, I've switched careers a few years ago. Um, Not sorry about it. I'm very happy I did. Um, but I feel like I'm still catching
3: up, and I often find myself not as smart with certain cultures, certain topics as my colleagues at my level. So just wondering if anyone's been through something similar and how did you overcome and and get smart quick?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I, you know I had a situation where um, you know I was operating at a pretty high level and I had my fourth child and I couldn't do it anymore, and I, I stepped back, and I, I stepped back from a vice president to, to a manager role, and, um, you know, and, and that gave me some some pause, some of the time I, I needed. I got my head around that, but, you know, to thyself be true, your, your natural person takes over, and pretty soon, you know, I wasn't satisfied where I was, and I was back on you know, I was back on the trajectory. So, you know, give yourself some, some patience to make these decisions in your life and accept that you made them and, and then let your interests and motivation and energy take you back where, where you need to be um, this is how I bring that up. Um, you know, we've all, every time you take a
3: role, right, you're, you're learning, you're in a new environment that's uncomfortable. You're going to be the, you know, the first one, uh, you know, you're the last one there, so everybody knows more. And that's those unrealistic expectations and this thing we build up in our heads. So, you know, you have to understand how, how do you quickly learn, right? Um, for me, you know, and this is just me personally, I would talk to as many people as I can to get that learning, right? To get those interactions. And what did we learn yesterday in one of our sessions peer right to build those relationships so that you're not feeling you're out there alone trying to figure it out on your own, because that's a mistake that we make right i'm going to read all the manuals i'm going to just you know do that bulk in mind and just get it all in, but that's not how that's not how we can propel so if I was going to give any advice, I would say, talk to your peers talk to everyone and as many as you can if you want to get, if that's how you learn, to get that learning quicker, and more importantly, to build those relationships in this new role.
4: Good morning. My name is Andrea Homer. I'm from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. First, I want to thank you for your insight and the perspectives that you shared, and you're doing a great job with moderation as well. Um, So (laughs) I enjoy it because I'm looking for the punchline. He's always ready. (laughs) Um, So I've noticed um, um, that we have what I perceive to be in a post-COVID environment where I've noticed so many challenges um, across almost every industry and um, just impacting about almost every area of our lives. Uh, One in particular is just such a demand um, with more communications, um, even in the workplace, whether you're in person or you're at home. You have the the teams, you have the chats, you have the texts, you have the meetings, and there's so many um, constraints to multitask. So for myself, um, and then I have a team too. So um, for myself, I find the evenings as more time where I self-reflect. And then I start thinking of strategy and I start thinking of innovation and I start thinking of long-term solutions. And I don't have that time to do it during the day Um, where I'm getting to this question is, how do you find time to shut it off? Right. Because there's there is so many more different things that we experience. And it's like, I I need to do this and I want to do that. And then, of course, we have family and things. So if you can just share with us um, what you do to balance um, just pulling yourself away, even though there is such a demand to implement strategy when you really want to see forward progress, considering so many constraints in a post-COVID environment? Thank you.
0: I think that's a great question for all of the panelists to respond to. How do you shut it off?
3: So, you know, great question. Post-COVID world, um, probably many of us are on meetings from sunrise to sunset. I mean, and we have to be intentional with our communications, which means I have to be on even more teams meetings because I have to make sure I'm tagging up. I got to make sure I'm doing town halls for my remote workers. I got to make sure that I'm doing newsletters. I got to make sure, and so all that has to happen. So all those comms are extraordinarily necessary in a hybrid work environment. I too find myself at the end of the day, sort of catching up. And so I, I kind of, for me, Right, I balance it this way. I get up a little earlier so I can have that time to reflect, to exercise, to journal, to do those things, because about the only time I can really control is maybe a half hour to an hour before the workday really begins. So I made that commitment to getting up just a little bit earlier so I could connect that way. And then I knew at the end of the day I wanted to be able to spend time with family to have dinner or whatever. I knew that was gonna happen. But I also said, okay. It's okay to put an hour in after dinner, catch up with those emails that you may have missed, and that's it. To have the discipline to cut it off and to work on, and maybe that's just the opposite for you. Maybe the time frame, maybe you're not a morning person, so maybe you get up early and do the work and then have that time at the end of the day. The most important thing is to know you, your schedule, and know that you're not gonna be your best if you constantly burn it from both ends.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so, so I've tried. I've tried many different ways to get at this challenge, and I'm still struggling. Yeah. Um, but I've tried to. I've taken sort of a different approach during the week to organize into different. I'll say, you know, uh, digital files. I've, I, I use a Remarkable now, and not a and not a paper notebook because it's easier for me to sort and move things around. Um, and, and so I try to keep those notes during the week my thoughts as they come I'll put them into a file that that talk you know that strategy or innovation ideas or whatever it is and then um, I'd, I'd use a little bit of time at the end of the day uh, to clear email and also have to set a limit because it sometimes it just won't clear um, And then my for me it's, uh, quietly at home Saturday morning or Sunday morning where I can go through and and sort of reflect on those on those thoughts. Uh, And I try to keep, you know, some part of one of those days free so that it's just, you know, kind of an unwind day. Um, And I do find myself on one of the days of the weekend clearing through um, email. But one thing that will help when you have a team is um, really be thoughtful. And we're talking about this. My team and I've just really started talking about this being very intentional about commander's intent. What do I, what what am I trying to accomplish and can I allow the team to run with that? Check in regularly, <clears throat> but allow the team to run with it and, dis, and unplug myself from that. Now that's hard too. You have to unplug yourself from something if you know the team's capable and if you've been clear on what the intent is and you're able to check in um, more. So, I think it's both your, your structure to organize things, it's also your discipline to unplug and let your team do some things without you having to have hands on um, as much. I do agree though, that it seems like almost every aspect is so much more challenging now. Um, and we, you know, we've, just, we've just named a Director of Strategic Communications for just that reason. We were, we were communicating at such a high rate during COVID because the the intent was, we're going to keep employees informed. We may not know exactly what's going on, but we'll be straight on that. we, but we are going to keep employees informed and we communicate and communicate and communicate it. But you couldn't, you can't really go back to less communication because people just aren't naturally happy with that. And that's another thing that, you know, I'll, I'll just say, that's another thing that I've learned. Um, I feel like I should have known earlier. Uh, and so we're adjusting and moving forward. But However your schedule works, you do have to have the time you carve out, and unless it's a dire emergency, just shut it down.
1: Melanie? Yeah, I, really, I don't know if I can add more to that. I mean, the core of it is discipline to do it, um, and I've, I've sometimes even thought of myself, oh my goodness, I'm going to put myself on a schedule from you know sunup to sundown and follow that schedule. <laughs> just follow that schedule, Melanie, because... Discipline in taking time for myself is not, is, is not a strength. Um, so think about that. And you think about, um, you know, different things you learn along the way about worrying. And they, they teach you to find a spot where you allow yourself to worry for those five minutes as much as you want and then leave it there. <laughs> so, you know, same thing with being, you know, being disciplined here about the time that you need for yourself. Um, yeah. You just got to do it. You can do it. <laughs>
5: Good morning. Yesterday I asked Ms. Sabrina a question. Her answer resonated with me, and I wanted to ask that question again and um, ask the rest of the panel to um, give their, their answer. The question was, how do you deal with imposter syndrome in the positions you are in coming up the ranks? How do you deal with that?
2: <laughs> I told a group last night, and I'm not going to say how I said it, but... <laughs> It bothers me that there's something called imposter syndrome. I I do understand the concern that we're talking about, but just by claiming imposter in something that is associated with me or with you, um, it's too much. It's just not right there. You're not an imposter. Uh, so, you know, I was saying in back in the day, we just called those butterflies. Okay. Um, you are where you should be and you bring, you're, you're there both to learn, you're there to help teammates because you're going to find different ways to, to resolve issues for them. Um, you're there to contribute to the organization, but you should be where you are. Don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't be. And when you find those feelings of, um, I mean, I think this young lady asked it before, if you switch careers and other people seem to know more, if you change a job, of course they're going to know more. They've been there. That's, that's not a bad thing. You're, you're going to learn from them, and you're still going to teach them things. So I would just caution us all to, you know, to, to be wary of the fact that, that I'm assigning something to myself that could lead to a belief that I don't deserve what I have.
6: <laughs>
2: you deserve what you have, and you're going to contribute as much, if not more, than anybody there. And I think that's what, that's what I would want you to remind yourself
1: know know your worth you you own it you're running your race I know my worth I lap these boys every once in a while like I know my worth I don't think I, I'm here for any other reason but for the skills and abilities I have to add value and, I don't even if, think about it
0: <laughs> and, and Sabrina I would ask because obviously your comment actually had an impact so if you would share that with the team as well yeah. the group
3: yeah, so you know, the, you know, Jennifer Stane is right, it's just that 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 stereotype, that name, right? But what it really cuts down to is feeling like you don't belong. And when you are the only and you are the only at the table so many times, and when you're the first time you're at the table and you're the only, and you look around and you, you kind of you feel like, hmm, do they know more than I do? Do you know they've been here longer? Um, how do I fit in? So it is just, you know, and, and, I, and sometimes I still struggle with that. It, it's not something that just sort of goes away. But, but over time, you know, I've gotten to the point where I say, you know what, um, they don't know everything either. You know, I have earned this right to be at this table. And as these women have just said, own that. Right. So it is something you're going to struggle. You might struggle with. You might. You don't have to. You you might. It's something that I have struggled with and oftentimes being the only. So know your worth. Pull your seat up to that, you know, sit at the table, right? If you all read the book Lean In, right? Make sure you're sitting at the table. Don't sit on the side. There's chairs. Sit you belong at that table. Own that own that position. Uh, Don't let anyone tell you that you don't. And don't tell yourself that you don't, because this is all in your head, right? So try to work through that. So hopefully that resonates.
0: So I think we have time for one more question. And I know that she was waiting patiently here.
1: (laughs) Good morning. Morning.
5: So you're talking about communication and the only one. So wherever I go, I'm always the only female and a group of men work for me. So, English is my second language, and sometimes I feel a little doubt on myself because of second language, but talking to all men is another language I have to learn. And I struggle that every time I sit in the meeting and I'm the only one and have to basically explain to them how things I understand, the way it needed to be done. They say they understand, but they go off and they do something different. So am I speaking? I say, am I speaking English? <laughs> <laughs> so how do you deal with that?
1: Do you want to are, start, uh, Melanie? Oh, well, I'll be happy to start. Wow, <coughs> gosh, no. I appreciate appreciate the concern you you raised. I mean, I think you you need to have confidence in yourself. You're in the role that you're wow. in, and you're leading that team. So. Check in for understanding, check in for alignment. If the lack of alignment where they go off and they don't follow what you say becomes an issue, you know bring that back to the table and talk about how we how we get better on the same page and what you might be able to do or what they should do to help you guys collectively execute what it is you want them to do. But uh, you know I mean th- this is this is your reality. these are this is your circumstance. You own it, you're in the role continue to work and check in to see that it's working for you and the team. Um, I, that's my sentiment.
2: I would say what, one thing you, you, you may consider, again, I don't know the team, but um, uh, when we group them, you know, a, a, a room full of men or a team full of men, we group them as kind of a singular body. But again, as we talked about earlier, it's five or six individual different people. And one thing you may want to do is, is see if there's one that you can help you know sort of outside of the meeting build a relationship with where you can say hey here's a concern i have because english is a second language but but uh, i worry that the team is missing something and and there's something lost in in translation can i work with you on can i try to help get you to help me understand and um and then when you go in there you have someone who's you know farther along in the knowledge of what you're trying to do but to to break up the idea that they're all one and look at them as individuals and pick one that can help the team, help you help the team, might, might be a way you could go about that.
0: Yeah. Anything to add, Sabrina? Um,
3: you know, I, I would say make sure you, you, no matter what language, find your voice, right? And, and make sure that you are heard. So maybe it, it's a situation where everyone's talking over everybody, extroverts, extro- all of that goes on. But if you're if you're saying something, you know, as Jennifer said, hey Bob, did you understand that? Can you is, is that resonating with you, Bob? Do you do you understand that? Can you? How about you, Jim? Do you get that? You know, just to make sure in the meeting that everybody understands and has to acknowledge that they've heard that voice. Because I heard two things: one, not being heard in the meeting, and then I heard going off and doing something different. Now that's a different kind problem. of problem that needs to be resolved regardless of the language or who's there. So that's different, but, but when you're at the table, just make sure now, but we'll go back to, to peer again, you know, performance, what was the next one? Professional image, Perf- exposure. Yeah, all, and all of those things. Make sure you got that right, right? That you're speaking from a place of knowledge and what you're saying should be taken seriously and make sure that it is resonated back to you to ensure that it's been heard.
2: I think it's important that we do remind ourselves. You might be at a table as the, the only or the first or both, and uh, there are seven or eight or ten majority males at the table, and you know you can feel very isolated. But trust me when I tell you they're not all aligned. They're, they're not all the same. They're not all aligned. They're going to go off and have their own little bickering amongst themselves. So, j- so just realizing that it's ten individuals and, and more than likely, you will align your perspective with one or more of them. And so, you know, don't, don't let that look like a, a whole wave of challenge. So,
0: so we've talked a lot today. We said real talk. And, and do you guys agree this was real talk? Right? And as these leaders talked about their experiences and how they not only, um, you know, when we're saying crack the uh, glass ceiling or break the glass ceiling. They've shattered it. I'm going to ask Jennifer that you take us out in two minutes as far as what does the future look like?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I'll build off the, the, the post-COVID question. So much has changed. Um, it's harder to, uh, you know, there's fewer employees for the jobs we have. Uh, the workforce is, is diverse. We are spending a lot of time, and I feel like a lot of companies are doing this. There's a talent war going on and uh, by the way, we want you. And uh, in that talent war, it's forcing us as organizations to, to really look pretty deep at what is our culture, and if we had a culture for the last, you know, 40 years that I was here, does that make sense when 50% of the workforce has only been here for five years or less, right? People come in and bring, whatever they bring creates a new culture, and so there's a lot of leadership energy that is going to be required, I think, in all large organizations. I know in ours, but I believe in all large organizations to reconnect with some, maybe some, uh, I'll say, older or established ways of thinking about what's important to people. Um, hold the principles, right? Hold, hold what's important, hold the values, hold the principles, but kind of open up to How that connects to the workforce coming in, and how we help the workforce that's coming in connect to the, to the mission, to the importance, to the need, to the customer, Um, and so leadership is going to be very exciting, and leadership doesn't mean a level that we we there are you are you can be a leader no matter what job you have because a leader influences those around regardless of title. Um, so you have huge opportunity being in the workforce at this time in the 2020s, um, you're going to define things, you're going to establish things, you're going to be part of a transition to a new way of thinking and working and connecting with teams um, that didn't exist for us. So be encouraged, be positive, don't give up and make the change. So-
0: Thank you all, and this has been a really good, engaging conversation. I'll tell you, with this panel, you didn't need me. They kind (laughs) of carried the floor. The eyes, the voices, and everything. So thank you all. We really appreciate your time, and this concludes our session.